welcome. If you are brand new, my name is Christian. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so glad that you have joined us for church this morning. We are in the middle of a series, really kind of on the tail end of a series, uh, that we're calling Words with Friends, and we're talking about life-impacting words. And I want you to say a couple of these words with me, just so we can re- remember uh, where we've been. Say the word imagine. That's where we started Easter Sunday. Uh, and we said, imagine if it all really happened, it would radically and drastically change our life. Say the word balance. We talked about a generation that's burned out, stressed out, worn down, uh, isn't going to make it long term, and what the Bible says about having balance in life. And if you weren't able to hear that message, you need to go back, especially if you're a young professional or a young father or mother, you need to go back and listen to that message on balance. Say the word forgiveness. Man, we had a powerful week, talked about what it means not just to be forgiven, but to be able to forgive, how to forgive. Say the word blessing. Talked about seeing blessings, being blessings, pursuing blessings. Say the word shame. Maybe one of the most important weeks uh, in the entire series was the week on shame, what we talked about. But today's word is impact. Say the word impact. One more time. Say the word impact. Impact. I want to talk today about you with your life making an impact for Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Acts today. We're in Acts chapter 20. We're going to start in verse uh, 24, and then I'm going to read it in a couple different translations. If you did not bring your Bible today, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. One thing we like to do is, is make sure you have a Bible, access to a Bible if you need one. If you forgot your Bible, wave at them. They'll give you one. If you don't have a Bible, this is yours to keep. Put your name in it. You can have it. Uh, I'm told that we have moved past giving away now more than 300 Bibles since we started our church eight months ago. Uh, and they actually, just yesterday, I got an email. Order some more Bibles because we're almost out. We love to give away a Bible because we want you, as we open God's Word, to be able to hold it, touch it, read it, uh, mark it up. We gave you a pen so that, uh, so that you can make notes. And even if you just forgot your Bible today and you're using this, feel free to underline verses and make notes and uh, just leave it with us. That way the next person who gets it will realize that somebody has been there before. Acts chapter 20, and we're in verse 24. Uh, And just to set the stage for this, we're in a really interesting place here because the Apostle Paul, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he he probably next to Jesus would be the most important, uh, the second most important New Testament character. Jesus would be one, Paul would be two, especially for the spread of the church to Gentiles or non-Jewish people. And Paul has been on a couple missionary journeys. He's literally gone all over the world planting churches. And God has told him that he's supposed to go back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. Uh, and he's been told that when he gets back to Jerusalem, he'll probably, been, he'll probably be killed. So he knows that this trip back home is probably going to be his last. So if you can imagine the Mediterranean Sea, he sets sail almost from Rome all the way back to Israel. And one of the stops he makes is at a port near the town of Ephesus. Why is Ephesus important? If you, if you know your Bible at all, there's a book in the Bible called Ephesians. Uh, of all the churches that Paul started, and he started dozens, uh, the church at Ephesus, the book to the Ephesians, was the one most near and dear to his heart. He was in Ephesus the longest. Three years he stayed there preaching and teaching, the Bible said, every day. The Bible says in the book of Acts that the whole world heard the gospel as a result of the church in Ephesus. Literally so many people there came to know about Jesus. So many people found faith there and went home. We find out the, um, the book of Colossians, if you read it, Paul never even went to Colossae. A guy came to the church in Ephesus, became a Christian, went back home to Colossae and started a church. That's the type of thing that was happening in Ephesus. The whole world was being changed by it. And Paul was closer to these people than any other people. So as he's going back to Israel, as he's going back to Jerusalem, and he's told he'll probably die there, 
He stops at a port and says, call the pastors, the leaders, the small group leaders, the children's workers, everyone in that church who serves, call them to come to me because I want to talk to them one more time. And that's what we find in Acts chapter 20. We're only going to take one statement out of that, but he calls his elders to him and basically says, I don't know that I'll ever see you again, but keep up the good work. And then he gives us one verse in Acts 20, 24, which is a verse that as I read it two weeks ago, I was in my quiet time. For those of you who have been around a few weeks, today's word with friends was actually discouragement. We push that to next week. I'm going to talk about discouragement next week. The most common emotion found among our biblical heroes is the emotion of discouragement and being overwhelmed. So we're going to talk about what happens in life when we're discouraged. But as I read over this verse a few weeks ago, I read it and I felt like God stopped me and said, you need to preach that to your church. So that's why we're in Acts chapter 20 today, verse 24. And Paul, as he's talking to these, these leaders in his church in Ephesus, um, here's what Paul says this about why he's going back. And he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. People have told me not to go. They tell me I'm going to be killed there. But here's what he says in verse 24. He says, however... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I want to read that one more time in the New International Version. Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. They said, you're going to die if you go do ministry there. Paul said, I don't even care. I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim, the only thing I want to do in life is finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I was reading, uh, this year I'm reading, try to, I try every year to read through the Bible in a different translation in my own devotional time. This year I'm reading through the New Living Translation, which I've never read before. And it was in the New Living Translation that I read this verse and it jumped off the page to me. And here's the way it goes in the New Living Translation. I think it'll be on the screen behind me. Here's what Paul said, and this is actually on your sermon notes uh, as you follow along today, I've got this verse for you in the New Living Translation right on the top of the notes that you have to take notes with. Paul said, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it. And I read those words and I just stopped. Listen, listen to those words. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. Man, as I read that verse, I felt like God spoke to me and he said this, Christian, how are you using your life? And more than that, Christian, how are you encouraging the people at Journey Church International to use their life for me? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I will ask this question. How many of you today are using your life for Jesus? How many of you today are doing something to continue the kingdom of God that started way back when and continued through the church at Ephesus and continues now today in Lee Summit, Missouri and into Cass County, Missouri, and those of you from the Kansas side, how many of us are using our lives to make sure that this movement, which we're a part of, continues to the next generation? Today, I want to talk to you about impact. And I want to talk to you, everyone in here this morning, about using your life for Jesus. And here's my goal, that by the time we leave today, when we bow our heads and when we close our eyes and when we pray and when we walk out, that everyone in here will have taken at least the first step to saying, here's how I'm going to use my life and then that you will develop into lifelong servers of God through whatever church you go to and for however long you go there. I want to I say this. This message today is not to convince you to serve at Journey Church International because most of you will not go to this church for the rest of your life. I don't even know if I'll go to this church for the rest of my life. No one in here has been called to serve a church. 
but we've all been called to serve God through the church. So what I'm talking to you about today is a lifelong decision to say, I am going to use my life to serve God, and whether I'm here, whether my job transfers me, whether I go someplace else, regardless of what I do, I am going to decide today for the rest of my life, I'm going to use my life for God for the remainder of my time on planet Earth. How do we do that? Number one, it's as easy first and foremost as using your moment. And I want to introduce you today to three people who serve some in very small ways, some in very large ways, uh, but all of them who use their life and what God had given them to make a difference in the world. So I want to talk to you about using the small moments in your life to serve God. And our example of this moment is, is, uh, is some kid. And that's what I want you to write in the blank. He doesn't have a name. As a matter of fact, I read through the narrative of him and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Never is he mentioned by name, and sometimes he's not mentioned at all. He's just, he's just some kid. He's just some random kid. If you have your Bible, you can turn back to John chapter 6. It's just a few pages back to the left. And we find in John chapter 6 the most miraculous uh, of Jesus' miracles that he did besides raising uh, from the dead. Uh, and, in, and in John chapter 6, we read about what we call the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, we had a team of men just two weeks ago that were in this place where they believed that Jesus fed the 5,000. And, and by the way, if, if you've never heard, the feeding of the 5,000 was probably 5,000 men. They only counted men at the time. Probably many of them had their, their wives and their kids with them. So probably the feeding of the 5,000 was more like the feeding of the 15 or 20,000. I mean, a big, big deal. This is the only miracle mentioned in all the stories of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we were on the hillside where you could see easily uh, you, could, uh, you, you could host Woodstock there. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people could be on this hillside that just kind of spread out where Jesus was preaching and teaching and where he would have fed them. And in John chapter 6, the, uh, the, the moment that this kid enters goes this way. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. Today it's called Tiberias. If you, if you want to go to Israel and uh, stay where Jesus lived near his hometown, you need to go to Tiberias. That's what it's called today. Um, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw all the signs he performed by healing the sick. So Jesus went up on a mountainside. And he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have just a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And he said, here's a boy. I want you to circle the word if you're in your Bible with me, boy. It's just a kid. Hey, here's a kid. I found a kid, Jesus. Man, if I was this kid's parents, I'd be really disappointed that his name didn't make it into the Bible because clearly he is an important kid, but he's just a kid. Hey, here's a kid with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Just some kid. Some kid in the Bible who, by our standards, doesn't appear to have much ability to help Jesus do anything, but a kid who, because he's willing to be used, a kid who, because he said, hey, I'm available, a kid who said, sure, you can use what I have, a kid who finds himself in the center of the only miracle of Jesus that's made sure to be recorded in every story written about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just some kid who was available. You know, every time I read this story, I'm, I'm reminded of the kid that changed my life. And in, uh, in the summer of 1998, my life was radically 
transform by some kid. Say, what was his name? I don't know. Say, how old was he? I don't know. Say, where was he from? I don't know. Say, well, have you ever spent much time with him? No, I haven't. I hope one day I meet him in heaven because he didn't realize what he did to me when when he changed my life. I I was at Liberty University, which is in Virginia. I, I was playing college football there, and a lot of the guys that played football, they stayed all summer. They got jobs in town, so every day we could work out and run and and, and do all that stuff. And there was a big youth camp that brought churches from all over Virginia and North Carolina and South Carolina and Maryland together. And they were hosting a youth camp um, at Liberty on, on the campus. And a bunch of the guys were down running one day uh, on the turf. And the guy who ran the camp, who's a guy by the name of Rick Gage, uh, came down on the field. And he was an old football coach. He coached at Texas Tech and radically tra- got his life transformed, became a Christian. And and started doing camps literally all over the nation to minister to young people, specifically young athletes, but then it became, became just anyone who, who would come here. And he met us, and he said, uh, he said, hey, Christian, I hear that you're the quarterback here. And I said, I am. And he said, uh, people tell me that you're a good Christian kid. And, I, you know, I said, I am. I thought I was uh, at the time. And he said, hey, why don't you come share your story tonight at, uh, at, at our little youth camp? That's what he called it. We're having a little youth camp. Um, you can come and just kind of tell the kids what Jesus means to you. You know, as a college kid, what it means to live for Jesus. I thought, cool, I'll be there. Um, so he said, 7.30, Schilling Center, which is where our huge multi-purpose facility. Um, and he said, I'll see you there. And I said, great. Now, at this time, I was a secondary education major, history, government. I wanted to be a school teacher and a football coach. I wasn't a pastor. I didn't know the Bible. I would never got up in front of a crowd and spoke. I mean, this was just me the kid who played football going to tell kids, hey, I'm in college, I love Jesus, and kind of here's what it looks like. I planned to speak for no longer than 60 seconds. I got there that night, walked into the back of the room, and this little youth camp that he talked about, there were 2,500 kids there. It was three gyms back to back to back, filled with kids all the way, and bleachers on both sides. And I walked in, and I thought, what have I gotten myself into? And I sat down in the back row, and I remember thinking, you know, maybe he'll forget about me. I mean, there's so much going on. I mean, they had fog and lights and the most unbelievable band in the world. And it was just crazy. It was like a rock concert. And I'm sitting in the very back row thinking, you know, I pray to God that he doesn't remember that I am here. And he got up, you know, they played the first song, and I thought, you know, that's great. And they kind of had a little, a little time of greeting and, and introduction. Then they went into more songs, and I thought, they totally forgot me. Thank God. And then he gets up after the songs and he gets in the mic and he says, uh, he says, we've got a special guest here to talk to you tonight. And I thought, oh no. And I just froze in my seat and he said, Christian Newsom, where are you, son? And I was in the furthest back corner on the very back of the back row, furthest seat to the right. And I froze. And I literally thought, well, maybe if I don't stand up, he won't see me. It's dark and things are going on. And while I'm contemplating in my head, um, either taking my life or hiding or running away, um, I realized that there's a circle of light around me. And I thought, you know, did I die? Am I being sucked to heaven? What's going on here? And I realized that my, one of my defensive tackles who came with me, a big guy from Pennsylvania, 6'4", 290, who couldn't miss, had stood up beside me, and he was doing this right on top of me. I, Dang it, Banka, what, what are you doing? So I took the long walk up, the, up, the, up three basketball courts long, got up on the stage, and just spoke very briefly about what it meant to be a Christian. And sold myself as what I, thought it, what I thought I was. A good Christian kid who at 20 years old was trying to live his life for Jesus and who tried to use sports as a platform to let people know that Jesus had changed my life. Very brief, very quick. Went and sat down, stayed for the rest of the deal. And at the end of the deal, 
you know, we, we had some kids coming up to us and saying, hey, thanks, and that was cool, asking us about, you know, liberty, asking us about college football, just random things. And as I'm walking out, um, I'm shaking hands with this kid, just some kid, uh, probably sixth, seventh, maybe eighth grade. He was a pretty little guy. Um, and as he's shaking my hands, he said, man, that was really cool what you said today. Thanks for coming. And, you know, I, I wasn't a good-hearted pastoral type of person, so I kind of patted him on the shoulder. He said, thanks, man. You know, that's great. Kind of like, leave me alone. I mean, that was the thought of my mind was just cool, you know, great, thanks. And I walk away, and I'm trying to get to the door because the truth is there was a big party that night that I was headed to. I just thought that was part of the game. You, you do the Jesus thing around Jesus people, and then you go live your life. Um, so I'm trying to get to the door, and I'm looking, and I'm shaking hands with this kid again. And he says, you know, man, that was really cool. If you weren't here for anyone else tonight, you're, you know, you were here for me. You know, I, you know, I love Jesus, and I, you know, I hope one day to be good at sports. And he's talking to me, and as I'm shaking his head, I'm th- my, he- my hand, I'm thinking, this is the same kid. And I don't know that it annoyed me or if I just blew him off, but I kind of said, oh, appreciate it, and just kind of blew him off and went to go away. And he must have been able to tell that I was blowing him off. Because as I walked away, he grabbed my arm. I mean, literally grabbed my arm and wouldn't let me leave. And, uh, and I turned around, and he said, you're not listening to me, man. Just, just a kid, just some kid. And I looked at him, he was crying. And I thought, oh, no, I've hurt his feelings. I felt horrible. And he said, you know how you said you wanted to be like Danny Warfel and David Robinson? And I, you know, I'd named these Christian athletes that I had admired as a kid. And I said, yeah. He said, well, man, I, you know, I don't want to be like any of them. I want to be like you one day. And I thought, oh. And you know what? For the first time in my life, I looked at my Christianity through the eyes of someone else, and it wasn't good enough. Because I thought, you know what, kid? If you end up like me, at 20, you'll go to church. Everybody will think real good of you. But you'll never read your Bible. You'll never pray. I'd never served a second in church. My language was terrible. I looked frequently at pornography, the music that I listened to, the places I went, the things I did at clubs during the week. I literally looked at him. And up until that time, my Christianity had been good enough for me. You know, God's great. God forgives me. He doesn't expect me to be perfect. And I, just, you know, I was comfortable living the Christian life that I was living. But when I thought about this kid living the Christian life that I was living, I thought, you know, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough, you know, if, if he were my son and living the life that I was living, I would not be pleased with him spiritually. And it was the first time in my life that, like, the light came on and God said, Christian, I'm not pleased with you spiritually. You see, your Christianity has been good enough for you, but it's not good enough for me. You're not even trying. And, man, that moment changed my life forever. Some kid. I have tried to look him up to find out who he is and where he is and what his life is all about. And I, ju- I pray one day I can meet him in heaven because the kid, by just seizing a moment, changed my life. And you know what I did? That, that, man, I, at first I, I didn't go to the party I was going to. I got in my car that night, I'll never forget, and I turned on the radio and I had the most vulgar music blaring from my stereo. Like the kids were exiting the auditorium around my car and this just vulgarity blared out my system and all, the only emotion I can remember from that night is shame. And I remember, I, you know, I, I turned the radio off, and as I was driving down the road, I took that CD out of my car, and I just threw it out the window. And I just, I'm lucky I didn't get arrested. I just started throwing everything out the window of my car, all my CDs, threw them out. I had a Playboy laying in the passenger floorboard that night. I can remember it like it was yesterday, reaching down, throwing it out the window. It, you know, now that I'm a little older, thinking better of it, I probably would have thrown that away rather than leaving it on the road for some kid to, kid to find but I thought, you know what, immediately I stopped 
And I thought, if I'm going to call myself a Christian, I'm going to live like one, or I'm going to quit telling people I'm a Christian. Because my life is not what the Christian life is supposed to be. And I went to Thomas Road Baptist Church, which is kind of where I had went to church on Sundays, and I, uh, got, I found the middle school pastor who some of you have met. He came and uh, preached during uh, our marriage series, Pastor Barry Rice, who became my mentor. And I, and I kind of told him what God had done in my life, and I said, I feel like I need to serve. I feel like God wants to use me. What do I do? And he said, you can lead a small group. And I said, I don't know what that means. He said, that means every Wednesday you're here at 630. I'll give you three kids, and every Wednesday night for a year, he said, you're going to study a little text, and you're going to come and tell them about Jesus. And on Sunday morning, I need you to come and sit beside those kids and make sure they're paying attention during church. He said, if you can do that for a year, I'll talk to you about maybe some more ministry that you can do. And every Wednesday night for a year, I went and sat in a little classroom with these three kids and tried to teach them what it meant to be a Christian. And every Sunday morning for a year, I went and sat with all these little middle schoolers uh, and tried to get them to behave and sing when it was singing time and listen to the message because I wanted my life to count. I thought, man, I've wasted my life. I want my life to count for Jesus. You know, small moments of serving, small moments of reaching out to someone who God's been leading you to reach out to, small moments of saying, you know what, I can afford one hour, small moments of serving can change the world. This kid, all he did was give Jesus his lunch, and it wasn't much of a lunch to begin with, but he said, what I have, you can have, use it. This kid in Lynchburg, Virginia in the summer of 1998, I don't know who he is, but God used that kid to be more of a pastor to me than anyone I've ever met in my life because God used him to open my eyes to who I was. So when we think about serving, it's, it's just sometimes it's just small moments. It's not hours and hours and hours. It's just using the moments that God gives you to serve him. Serving is also about using your lifetime. And man, did I get a message on this this week that I was not intending to get. And the person that we think about when we, when we think about somebody who's been faithful over a lifetime is Barnabas. And in Acts 11.24, we, we kind of see what would have been written on his tombstone if they would have had tombstones then that they inscribed like they inscribe now. And here's how the Bible describes Barnabas. And what we learn is, is Barnabas uh, was actually his nickname, and, and they had nicknamed him Son of Encouragement because he was just the most encouraging person anyone had ever met. Do any of you, I'll ask the reverse, no, I'll ask the first question first. Do any of you have somebody that every time you're around them, they just make you feel better? about life. You just, you know, you leave and you just feel like you've had just a, a, a you know, just like a shower and you feel good. Do any of you have people like that? Barnabas was that kind of guy. Do any of you have somebody that anytime you're, you meet with them, you, you, I mean, they just drive you into the depths of depression and when you see them come and you think, oh no, here they come. And it's not like taking a shower, it's just like they dump, like take a dump all over you and you leave and you just like, Last week, my dog, my stupid little dog, um, Danielle took him out on the deck. He's not real smart. And um, she got on the phone and forgot he was on the deck, and he wasn't chained up. And he ran off, and he was gone. And Danielle realizes he's gone, and, you know, she starts whistling, and he comes running back, and he runs up to the house, and she said he was sitting in front of her, and she said, I just realized the most God-awful smell. And she said, I looked at Rudy, and he was covered in poop, like head to tail. Just covered. He must have found a pile of stuff somewhere and just rubbed himself all over in it. And he came back with the biggest smile on his little stupid dog face, you know, like, this is the most fun ever. Um, and we had to lock him in his cage, and for a week he has smelled like crap. Forgive my language, but I mean, that's what he 
smells like. Um, and it was funny, you know, he was in his cage and we wouldn't let him out. And Casey said, you know, why is he in his cage? And we said, he's got poop all over him. She said, you know what, when, you know, maybe he, when, when he was smelling a dog's butt, it just pooped all over him. You know, he always tries to smell a dog's butt. Like, Casey, you know, I don't think he got pooped on, but um, perhaps. Some people make you feel like that. You just, like, for a week, you're just down. Barnabas was the kind of guy that made you feel good. Made you feel really good about life. Um, and Wednesday... Man, Wednesday, I, was, uh, I wasn't planning to get ministered to, but man, Wednesday was one of the greatest days of my week. One of the greatest days since I started the church because of the ministry that I got. I was at the funeral. We have two sets of brothers in our church whose grandfather died last week. Um, and I was at Larry Dahmer's funeral on Wednesday. And man, God ministered to me through this man as his pastor got up. And his pastor talked about the first home visit that he had made on Larry in 1962, March of 1962. And he talked about literally how for more than 50 years, Larry had served God through the church. And I just thought, that is, a, that is unbelievable. 50 years. As a matter of fact, three different ministers got up and spoke at this funeral. And one of the words that all of them used was the word serving. That he served. Now, can any of you imagine at the end of your life having people remember you as a servant? You know, the, the pastor, while we, were, um, while we were there, one of the pastors gave the verse Acts 13, 36, and I had to write it down. And I felt so bad about the way I wrote it down. You know, I, I try to carry a pen and paper with me everywhere that I go. Uh, you know, a lot of times people teach the way they learn, which is why we always give you a pen and paper, because I, I am, you know... Even when I'm at a funeral, I'm listening and learning and taking notes and trying to learn things spiritually. Uh, and we were at this funeral, and I had a pen, but I had forgotten to, to bring something to write down. So the only thing I knew, I just looked around because what he was saying was so good. So I grabbed a hymnal, and I started writing in the back of this hymnal. And I thought, I pray that no old people see me because it's going to be the most sacrilegious thing that they can do. And I even got to the point when I got done, I thought, you know, I'm not going to remember it unless I take it. So I actually ripped a page out of the hymnal of this church. And I thought, God is going to send me straight to hell right now for ripping this page out of this hymnal. But I thought, you know, if he doesn't send me straight to hell, I need to remember this because I want to say it on Sunday because it is it's phenomenal. But in Acts 13, 36, Larry's pastor des described his life this way. Um, and I don't know if you turn there. It, it should be on the screen behind me. But it, it says this in Acts 30, 36. Or uh, I'm sure, sorry, Acts 13, 36. And I'm not sure exactly what translation that, uh, that I've got it in. I may read it in a couple. Um, it says this in, 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 the new inter, in the New International. It says, When David had served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. Here's what the New King James says. The New King James is on the screen behind me. It says, For David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. You know, how many of you live a life that people would describe as you serving your generation? You exist to serve your generation. You know, as I sat at the funeral, essentially four of this man's grandsons go to our church and they all serve. And it's like, well, there's, you know, that makes total sense now. Um, the two of Larry's sons are the dads of the guys in our church. Um, and their pastor got up, the pastor at Heartland uh, Church in, uh, in Belton. And he got up and talked about how for 30 years now, um, two of Larry's sons have served their church. 
And then I think about all these guys serving our church. And I, I had a conversation with one of them right at the beginning because they just, they're, the, they're included in the group of guys who still do everything to get our church ready. And I was just leaving and I briefly said, hey man, thank you for all your help. You never know what it means. And he said this. He said, it's really important to me and my wife that our kids see us serving so they know it's important at church. And I thought, well, now I more fully understand where that comes from. We watched our grandpa serve. We've watched our dad serve. Now that we're able to serve our generation, we want our kids to watch so they'll serve their generations. Do you, do you come from that kind of family? Because you could start that. Like, you, you could be the patriarch of a lifetime of Christian service. You know, some of you are like me that day at Liberty where I thought, man, I have wasted my life. You, you're saying, I've wasted the last 20 years. I've wasted the last 30 years. I've wasted the last 40 years. I've wasted the last 50 years. And, and here's the truth. All we can change is the here and now. And we still have a generation of people in this community that needs someone to serve them on behalf of Jesus. And I really, truly want to encourage you to become a patriarchal server that one day your kids, your grandkids, and then your great-grandkids serve. And at your funeral, they talk about you as a server. And it really ministered to me when I thought about somebody serving 50 years at a church. That's a long, long time. But I thought, man, what a legacy, a lifetime of service. That's who Barnabas was. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. Because of him, a great many people were brought to the faith. That's what Acts eleven twenty four says. It's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And a great many people were brought to the faith through him. Now is your chance today, May 20th, 2012, to say, I am going to start using my lifetime to serve. Um, and some of you think, I'd like to serve, but I am not in a place where God could use me. That's where we pick up number three. You have to understand that you can use your second chance. You need to use your second chance. And, of course, our, our example of this is the Apostle Peter. And in John chapter 21, for those of you who are not familiar with Peter's story, the Apostle Peter was kind of like Jesus' right-hand guy, his number one sidekick of disciples when Jesus was changing the world during his three years on planet Earth. And then when he died, Peter, we, we actually showed two weeks ago pictures. Peter betrayed him horribly. And I mean, just spiritually just fell off the map and thought he was done. So he quit ministry and he went back fishing. And some of you... Some of you used to be involved serving, uh, serving God in a church, and you don't now because now you're divorced and you think God can't use you. Or you don't now because you've lost your job and now you don't think you're important anymore. Or you don't now because, you know, you tried to lead at, an, at another church, but things didn't go well and you got embarrassed and you say, you know, I'm not cut out to serve God. Listen, if you're breathing, you're cut out to serve God. And Peter is our example of when somebody messes everything up, Jesus says, I'll still use you. If you're willing, I'll still use you. Where is this? John chapter 21. We think maybe this is the first conversation that Jesus and Peter had after, Peter, or after Jesus had died and Peter had denied him and things had gone bad. The whole crew was eating breakfast together and it says in John 21, 15, now when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you, you know that I love you. Some people think that Jesus was referring to the fish. Peter was a fisherman. That's what he did for a living. And he had quit the fishing business to go into ministry. And then he had quit the ministry to go back into the fishing business. And some people think that Jesus looked at all the fish and said, Peter, 
your life is going to be about more than fish, isn't it? You love me more than all these fish, don't you? And Peter said, yeah, yeah, I do. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he went on in uh, verse 18. He said, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, someone else is going to stretch out your hands and someone else is going to dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him two words. If you're in your Bible, I want you to write them down, or to circle them. Follow me. Say those two words out loud. Follow me. One more time. Those were the first words that Peter ever heard Jesus say to him. Follow me. And Peter followed as best as he knew how and did as much ministry as he knew how. But then he fell off the wagon and things went horrible spiritually. It just wasn't happening. So what did Jesus go and say to him again? Jesus said, let's start all over and let's just start on first base again. We'll, we'll start all over, Peter. And what two words did he say to him? Follow me. You see, our God is the God of second chances. Our church, I pray, is the church of second chances. I met a mother this week who uh, met me, and, and when she found out that I was the pastor of our church, she had heard about our church. Uh, she has a family member who goes to our church, and she approached me, and she said, hey, I've got a son in prison, and he's been in prison for five years, and he's getting ready to get out. He'll get out at some point this year. And she said, we've told him about your church. And she said, um, I think your church will be awesome for him. And she said this. She said, you know, I don't know that our church, where she goes to church, is right for him but I know that he'll fit in at yours. Now, I don't know if by that she thinks we're all a bunch of criminals or perhaps she saw me rip something out of a hymnal and she thought, you know, he'll fit perfect with you. No, here's what she was saying. She said, I heard your church is just filled with normal people. It's real casual. The music's kind of loud that, that it'll, you know, that he'll feel comfortable there. He won't feel out of place there. And I said, that's who we are. Man, we hopefully in this community can be the church of second chances. If you've messed up, we want you. As a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel 22, 2, the, the patriarch of the Old Testament faith, one of them was David. And in 1 Samuel 22, 2, it describes the first group of men that ever followed David. And, and I find it interesting. You know, I've prayed and asked God that he would send us these type of people in the community. David, the first people that ever flocked to him to follow him. In 1 Samuel 22, 2, it said, all those who were in distress, all those who were in debt, all those who were discontented, gathered around him, and he became their commander. There were about 400 men there with him. All those who had failed in life, and no one else would give a second chance, David said, come on, we'll figure it out together. And you know what? They became the leaders of Israel in its golden era of history. People who had lost everything financially. People who were so broken emotionally and stressed out that they couldn't think straight. People who were discontented with life. Nothing had gone right for them came to David, and David said, I'll take you, and together we'll change the world. You see, I hope, you have, I hope every friend that you have who doesn't feel comfortable at church, you'll invite to our church, and you'll tell them what this mother figured out. You'll be comfortable here. It'll be a good time, and you may not, you may not like it, but you certainly won't feel uncomfortable because our church is the church of second chances. Man, I find Luke 22, verses 31 and 32 really interesting for those of you looking for a second chance today. 
For those of you maybe not serving because of a past failure, I want to give you Luke 22, 31 through 32. This is before Jesus died. This is what Jesus said to Peter, literally right before Peter would betray him. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon. I want to stop right there. Because this is interesting if we read it. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you. So he said, Satan has asked to destroy all the disciples. But he said, I'm praying for you, Simon, because you're the one who's going to mess up. Listen to what Jesus said. I'm praying for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, you know what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying, I know you're going to turn away. I already know it. I know you're going to let me down. I know you're not going to measure up. I know you're going to make a faith commitment and you're going to break that. Listen, I know you're going to fall away. But when you come back, I need you to strengthen your brothers. I need to use you. Peter, Peter, I know, Peter, that you're going to really mess up spiritually. And it's not that he said that's okay, but he said when you finally get your head screwed on straight and you decide to live your second chance, I'll use you. Jesus is the God of second chances. You say, who, who in the church Christian should serve? Everyone. I want everyone in this room to use your life for God. We say at our church three things. We, I want you to use your life for God in the church. I want you to use your life for God in the community. I don't know where Mo is. We, we've got one of our young guys who goes to Calvary who's interning all summer at the City Union Mission. That's using your life for God in the community, and I want you to use your life for God in the world. In September, we're sending a team to Guatemala. Probably next February, we'll send a team to India. Next April, we're going to send a team to Israel. So you'll be, able to do, you'll be able to do global ministry as a part of this if you're available, if you're open, if you're willing. And, you know, we talk in church about all the time about the golden rule, do unto others as you'd like them to do to you. But I find in Scripture what I would call the golden attitude, probably best described in John chapter 13. And what is the golden attitude? The golden attitude is living a life to serve others. You know, Jesus said it perfectly in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And, and what's so cool is the reference to this point. I won't make you turn to John cha Mark chapter 10, but in Mark chapter 10, Jesus sits down with all, all those disciples, and it's, it's kind of a, a humorous story. Um, and he tells his disciples, this isn't the funny part of it, um, sits down with his disciples and says, listen, very soon I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be beaten severely and I'm going to be killed. Uh, but on the third day, I'm going to raise again and I'll come and find you. According to Mark chapter 10, the disciples heard that message that I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be killed. Um, and right on the heels of that, James and John came to him and said, listen, um, Okay, we got all that about what's going to happen to you. But, like, do you think that John and I like, could be like the lead disciples instead of Peter? That literally is, is, the, is the summation. It would be like you going to your wife and saying, I just got news that I'm going to die. And her saying, like, when will the inheritance check come? I mean, this is like the most ill-opportune moment to find out what's in it for you that there is. Jesus says, I'm going to die. And James and John are like, okay, got that. But... Um, like, can we be leaders instead of Peter? And Jesus replied, he said, listen, you all don't get it. 
And then his disciples began to argue back and forth. Well, they shouldn't be leaders. We should be leaders. I mean, no one was arguing. How could you do that? Jesus just said he was going to die. And then you ask him, no, the question was, why? You, you should have asked us first because we wanted to be the leaders. And they all started grumbling among themselves right after Jesus poured out his heart. And Jesus said, hey, guys, listen, this isn't how we're going to do things. And he said in Mark 10, 45, he said, even I didn't come to be a big leader. I didn't come to be served by everyone. But I came to give my life as a ransom for many. She said, I didn't come to planet Earth so that everyone would serve me. I came to serve them. The golden attitude, a lifetime of service. Now, this has not been something that's, that's been a good topic around the Newsom household the last three or four years. Because we talk often, probably once a week, prob probably too often, just about ministry, uh, about pastoral ministry, about doing church stuff. Because pastoral ministry is, is uh, you know, it's not difficult manual labor. Um, but ministry never goes away. There's always someone in the hospital. There's always a marriage that's hurting. There's always people that need ministry. And, and as a pastor, you constantly feel like you're not doing enough ministry. It's difficult emotionally when your heart's really, you just can't meet all the needs. You just can't. And uh, Danielle and I often talk, you know, how long do you think God um, will have us here before we'll just burn out and fry and have to go do something besides being a pastor. Because being a pastor is hard. And, and I, I think in my mind, I thought, you know, I guess nobody's a pastor for their whole life because it's just hard. And then I go to a funeral on Wednesday. And the last guy that gets up to speak, 83 years old, his name is Parker Daly. And he gets up and delivers with the boldest, deepest pastoral verse I have. I mean, a message that so ministered to my soul. And it was like the entire time he was talking, God was opening my heart up and saying, Christian, you can do ministry for a lifetime. See, it's not whether or not you want to, it's whether or not I call you to. And if I've called you to, your job is to serve me as a pastor. And I listen to this pastor who's been in ministry almost 60 years talk about the lifetime of ministry. It's the first time in my life I thought, maybe God wants me to be a pastor until I die. The first time ever that I've thought that. And how interesting on the heels of this message that God would say, Christian, your role in life is to serve me for a lifetime. And perhaps it's to serve me as a pastor. Who knows? But all of us, it's our role to use our life for God. So here's how I want to close today's message. First, I want to pray with you all. And then I want to give you an opportunity before you leave to take the first step today to say, hey, in June, I'm willing one time to come serve God at the church and see how I like it. And we're, here, here's my goal. I want to take our church and move our church from a crowd that comes on Sunday to a church that, has, that leads a movement for God. I, I, want to, I want our church to move from being a meeting to a movement where literally everyone is involved and we're pushing in the same direction to impact this community for Jesus. And I need everyone to start moving forward and serving together to see that happen to make the impact that God wants our church to have. So would you pray with me? God, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, so thankful for Paul's words to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, where he says, my life isn't worth anything unless I use it. And God, I thank you for how you highlighted for me the previous generation, and, uh, and Lord, the way that they were used. I, I didn't plan, Lord, my message was done before I went to the funeral. You knew that. 
But Lord, you so ministered to me through Pastor Parker Daly and a lifetime of ministry. Really challenged me. Lord, you so ministered to me by just the story of Larry Dahmer being a servant. And God, I just, I felt like you impressed upon my heart that the men and the women in our church could become lifetime servers. Serving you through our church, in the community, around the world, that we might, Lord, one day be the patriarchs of sons and grandsons and great-grandsons who are living their life to serve God in the best ways that they know how. God, I pray for the men and women who are right here, right now, today. Lord, that you will lead their hearts to understand the truth of this message that hopefully they have heard today as a Christian. Their life can be useful to you. Small moments, over a lifetime, with a second chance, their life can be useful to you. And God, I pray that everyone today will be some kid. I got a few fish. I got a few loaves. God, I don't have much, but what I have is yours. Just use me. God, lead our people to have that attitude today. Let's see things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You